Good morning. My name is Bill Townsend, and uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here with you. Um, I get to talk about faith and work. We've been talking about, last couple of weeks since Easter, an uprising. It's kind of hard to figure out what that is. You know, you think rebellion, revolt, insertion, um, uprising in our family. We're going to talk about it today at work, in community, and here at K2. I mean, when you put uprising together with the word work, it, it typically doesn't, doesn't come off well. So at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a rebellion. That'll be followed by 5 o'clock with a mutiny. Tomorrow morning, we'll start with an insurgency, and then we'll just round it at lunch with a massive rebellion. And, you know, I think that's probably a really good way to visit uh, the Human Resource Department. Um, and depending upon what kind of work you do, it might be a great way to visit Homeland Security. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's not normally paired together, but I think this is exactly what happened to the time of Jesus. Um, the political and religious leaders at that time were totally freaked out about an uprising that this person, Jesus Christ, was going to cause. Now look, he put up front early on that this was not about an uprising in culture. This was an uprising in the heart. But they, they didn't really hear that. And that's what we're talking about today. When we talk about an uprising at work, we're talking about an uprising in here. An unrest that causes things to be different than the status quo. Um, you know, I, um, I know that people are trying to figure out their faith and work. And so what I'm going to try to do today, there's sort of two ways of thinking about faith and work. One is some people just want a set of principles. Just look, just give me a set of principles. I'll put those principles in my work and I'll figure that out. So we're going to do that. We're going to cover principles. And then there's another group that really want a ground floor game plan. I mean, they want examples. They want to know what they're going to do at 930 on Monday. And so we're going to go to that as well. We're going to cover those two general concepts when we talk about faith and work. And also, if you have the K2 app, we put in there a list of books that, articles that I think are the best of the best in terms of things like calling, faith and work, uh, what the whole purpose of work is. Uh, so go take a look at it. And I'm going to point out one to you uh, by Gene Edwards which is a tale of three kings. It's the story of Saul, David, and Absalom. But if you have ever wondered why you have the boss, the supervisor, the leader that you have, and often when people ask me that, there are a lot of adjectives that describe that person that they work for ahead of it. Or the person that you're working for you, why, why do you have that person? Do I just need to terminate and move on? This book, it's going to be about a three-hour read in the evening, and for some of you fast readers, less than that. It's a marvelous description. It's a supernatural description of why you engage with the people you engage. And if you do read it, and you see me later on someplace, come up to me and tell me whether you're a spear thrower or not, and we'll know what, we'll know what each other's talking about. So I'm going to ask you three questions to get this thing going, and I'm going to start here in the center. This is called audience participation. Uh, the really simple question, the first one is, what percentage of your life do you think you spend at work? 25%, 35%, 45%. What percentage of your life do you think you spend at work? 45? You guys are working too hard. Um, you spend about a third. 
You spend about a third of your life, and here's the ugly part, you spend about 50% between the ages of 18 and 65, you spend about 50% of your waking hours at work. Okay, over here, you have a chance to see how we're going to do. In North America, what percentage of the population working is dissatisfied with their work? What percentage is dissatisfied with their work? 40% of us, 60% of us, or 80% of us? Did you guys attend the service before at all? And the third question, really quickly, is before you open the app, no. So we spend 50% of our waking hours between the ages of 18 and 65, and 80% of us don't like what we're doing. All right, there's this theory that says everybody on stage right is the smartest group of people. It's actually a theory in psychology, so apparently you're the smartest group and you get the toughest question, and the answer apparently is on the app. Um, what percentage of Christians, this is Christians now, believe that their work has faith, an expression of their faith? The products they make, the services they provide is an expression of their faith. What percentage? You're cheating. It's actually less than 10, though. Okay? Now, wait a second. That's... Um, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? You spend 50% of your hours doing something that 80% of you don't really enjoy that much. And if you have an expression of faith, if you're a believer, less than 10% of you believe that what you do is an expression of what you believe. Now let me tell you, statistics are an interesting thing because you also spent 4.3 years of your life commuting. You spend 1.3 years of your life in the bathroom. And I have no idea how this last one came, but you spend 92 days, apparently, using the facilities. You also spend 14 days kissing someone, which is not a bad deal. And I'm not going to divide it up between men and women, but I'm going to tell you that the range is, between the two sexes, a part of you spend six months trying to figure out what you're going to wear, and another part of you spend over a year trying to figure out what you're going to wear. <laughs> and you guys decide which one it is. So I'm going to try to go down to the ground and give you examples of how to engage your faith at work. And I'm just going to stop and give examples, and here's one for you. I'm hoping you take these Monday morning. I have a business partner named Greg Spencer, and he and I have uh, traveled many places in the world together for the last almost two decades. But one of the early times I traveled with him, we were in New York at some absolutely critical meetings for the future of the business we were building and we were finishing up breakfast and a server was coming to the table and you know Greg in a very generous person he is was engaging the server and talking to the server and how are you doing thank you we had a great breakfast well about you know how was your week what time did you get in is this your first job do you have other jobs also and eight nine minutes into Greg building a relationship with our server I said Greg we we gotta go because I'm you know, I need some teaching, I need some lessons. Now, having traveled now with Greg for 20 years and having countless breakfasts and lunch with him, this is what Greg does. Greg engages the server. He does in all aspects of life, lets the person know how important they are at that moment. What their, what their life is doing is important and relationships have been built. And here's an example. Um, he and I have lunch at a local restaurant, and a young lady had just uh, was serving us, and she had just lost her mother. 
she um, had gone through grief counseling, and the grief counseling had made a major difference in her life. Um, when she left, Greg said to me, uh, this is always his idea, Greg said to me, you know, we should really leave a, an investment in this girl. Not a tip, but an investment in her to go to school. And that's what we did. Greg wrote a little note and said, you know, use this uh, financial to go back to school. I forgot about it. A couple years later, my wife and I are at the exact same restaurant. Uh, we just finished ordering, and this woman sits down next to us. And can say, I'm starting to interrupt you, and, but, and she pulls out this note. And she said, she recognized me from the lunch a couple of years ago, and she said, I took that note, I went back to school, I took those funds, and in the next week, I'm going to be opening up a grief counseling business. You... You just don't know the, the effect you're having on the creation. But you must do it. It's part of your calling to go do it. To go engage the world, the person right in front of you. So as Christians, what in the world are we doing with our job satisfaction this high, our dissatisfaction so high, and our belief that the products and services we provide are really not an expression of our faith. What in the world is going on? And I think, I think what's going on is our misunderstanding of the gospel message. I think we think the gospel message is a two-act drama. It's a drama of the fall, and it's a drama of our redemption. Things are messed up. They're completely screwed up. We've got a problem. God steps in, redeems us back to Him. End of story. We're on the earth for a while, then we go to heaven. What a great program. All of that is true, by the way, but it's not the full picture. It would be like looking at this amazing picture, only you're looking at a six by six part of the canvas, and it's really a 36 by 36 inch canvas. So I want to open that up, and I want to suggest to you that really, it's a four gospel, but what does work look like in this? Before we get the four, what does work look like? Let's read Genesis 3. This is going to be exciting for you. This is the definition of work. The very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain your life long. The ground will sprout thorns and weeds. You'll get your food the hard way. Planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn till dusk, until you return to that ground yourself, dead and buried. You start out as dirt, and you're going to end up as dirt. No wonder we have job dissatisfaction. <laughs> we actually believe this. This is not the, re the renewed and redeemed life that you are currently working in. Let me, let, me, let me tell you why that's the case. So we're going to expand the gospel from a two-act to a four-act gospel. What's in front of the fall? Creation. What's after redemption? Renewal. And you know, in, in creation or renewal, you're actually living with God in present form. In creation, God walks with man, gave him some assignments to take care of creation. That was our work. And by the way, that is your work today. That's your work during fall. That's your work during the redemption. And that's your work during renewal. Take care of creation. Make products. Provide services. Help one another in community. 
That is your work assignment. But in creation, you, you did the work with God in the present form with you. The fall of mankind separates. You've been redeemed, and now you've been renewed. And how did you get renewed? Because the Holy Spirit, as a result of redemption, the Holy Spirit is now in and with you, abides with you. What does that abide mean? It means to be in community. This is a supernatural phenomenon. This is the spiritual world. God is one part of with you. So he's actually walking with you again. You're actually in the garden on earth. Um, I got to tell you my story. Uh, you know, I've been working for 40 years and I, I love what I do. <laughs> I'm really fortunate. But I had a hard time for a good 15 plus years figuring out how my faith, I became a believer in my college years, how my faith intersected with work. I just, I couldn't make the two work. And to be perfectly frank about it, I couldn't see the difference between an extremely well-run Christian business and an extremely well-run secular business. They both gave a percentage of their profits to great ideas and great causes. They both allowed their employees to express their faith. They both made great products and provided great services that cared for culture, that cared for the creation. Um, and I'll, you know, to be perfectly frank, when someone told me that they had a Christian business, my flags went up. Because I often found that, and it was unfortunate, that they really weren't maybe living out all the values associated with a Christian business. I chose not to do business with Christian businesses that put that out on their signpost. And I'm sure that I, I'm sure that I uh, passed up some great businesses, but it was, um, it was the frailty of me and the frailty of the system. I was in a position, and I, uh, I was in a position to build business, to build companies. And I, um, I don't know how all this happened when I really look back at my history, but I've somehow God gifted me with an entrepreneurial mindset. I didn't even know what the word entrepreneurial meant back then. But we've been building businesses and a lot of them over the years. Um, I was struggling with this whole idea of what is a Christian business, and I got an opportunity. I got an opportunity to construct a business from the ground up, and um, I chose to use some principles that I am not recommending you follow. Um, and when I read them to you, these were the basis on which we constructed the business. And, I, and I, when I read these to you, it'll make sense that I don't know that you should follow them. But it was absolutely necessary for me to follow them because I did not want my fingerprints on constructing this business. I wanted to see what God would do if God alone built a business in man's world. And also, I'm not sure it's always wise to tell God what the rules are. But I was remain stupid then and remain stupid now and here are the rules make no plans for the business hire no people unless they first are recommended to you and they come and pursue you call no customers or clients unless they first call you have no objectives for the business have no products or services for the business unless they are first brought to you. Remain detached as an observer, just watch. If it grows, great. If it fails, great. 
Don't become emotionally involved. This is just an experiment. I didn't tell my partners I was doing this. It's probably a good thing. Well, the business uh, started. And by the way, it was the carbon dioxide business. Um, and it's an interesting story about why we chose carbon dioxide. Um, and the business grew to be one of the most profitable and dynamic uh, businesses we had ever grown. It was confusing to some people why we wouldn't call a customer back. It was confusing to some people why we wouldn't pursue using our skill sets and our capabilities that God gave us. But those were not the rules. Um, I'm going to share with you when we go to the ground floor of the game plan and certain principles what came out of this. But I can tell you this, that almost without exception, every business we built since then, we used the principles that we discovered while this was going on. Um, and I can tell you this, that the principles are supernatural. You will not be able to use the principles I'm going to describe to you only in man's economy and only when you're with your skills and capabilities. You will not have the same result. And when I show you this, you're going to agree. Um, you're, you're going to run into some issues of failure. And I'm going to put the disclosure out again. I'm not recommending that you follow what I'm doing. I'm just telling you my story, how I integrated my faith and work. Uh, listen, by the way, you know, I think in the, in the gospel message, we, we think that it's about redeeming an individual. It's about sharing the gospel with a person, your coworker. And if you haven't, you sort of say, I didn't do that. I had that opportunity. God wants us to actually redeem nations and people groups, and companies, and products, and services, all of creation, not just the individual. And you see examples of this everywhere. This applies to your work. You see examples of this everywhere. Paul to the Romans, Peter to the Gentiles, Wycliffe to uh, remote tribes, Campus Crusade to uh, college students. It's everywhere. And so when you go into work, it's not necessarily about you redeeming an individual to God sharing. It is about you redeeming the services, the products, the organization, the companies, your clients, your customers. Think bigger picture than Mike in the corner, Susie walking down the hall. You're a part of creation. This is about redeeming individuals and this is about redeeming nations. Um, so I'm going to share some principles for those of you who like principles, who like guidelines about how to exercise your faith. And then after this, I'm going to go to the, the ground floor game plan for those of you who really want to know, what do I do on Monday at 9.32 a.m.? First, let's just talk about principles. Why faith matters at work. Principle one, faith provides a moral compass without which work will absolutely corrupt you. What do I mean by that? Um, I, I think work is tough. I think global competition, I think the need to make profits, raise expectations, comp compete. Work will ask for you every single thing that you will give it. You have to put that, you have to set that aside and say, I need, I need a compass to make sure I do not step across the line because it will encourage you to do that. Um, I need to know where that line is. And let me tell you what, when you step across the line, there's a, there's a likelihood that you'll be left there on the other side by work. 
It provides, a, it provides a compass that allows you to ensure that work does not corrupt you. A second general principle for those who need broad principles. Work gives you an internal balance without which work will absolutely destroy who you are. And I think this goes to not just work-life balance, which we all sort of deal with. This actually goes to success and failure. That's what I'm really talking about here. High success in work and great failure in work have a way of just destroying who we are. And faith provides a balance. There's this old adage that um, the more money you make, the dumber you get. And I'm telling you, I think that's true. Because arrogance comes with success, Austin, without an understanding of your relationship to God. And then just on the other side of that, great failure just destroys the internal clock of who we are. It's understanding where you fit down between those two and putting those in balance that you are not, your identity has nothing to do with success. And your identity has nothing to do with failure. Your identity has to do with your relationship with God. Principle three. Faith gives dignity and worth to all work, even the simplest of work. You know, it seems like, um, I, think, I think education, which is, I'm a huge believer in, often suggests that jobs that don't require necessarily as much education are in a different relationship. Or how much you make uh, creates a scale that says those who make less have some other value. Different, less, something different. Um, where you work, what you wear. This, this is my work apparel. But I know that some of you wear stethoscopes and work belts and Kevlar and you know, uh, x-ray resistant vests. Everything that you do, every work, every accounting, every every trucking job, every medical job, every business job has value in creation. We are all on the same platform and work and faith gives you a way of appreciating and creating dignity among all, among all work aspects. Um, hey, as a side note, in terms of practical counsel, the best counsel I ever got in my 20s, full stop, the best counsel I ever got in my 20s was read Proverbs every day. There's 31 of them, 31 days, 30 and 28 days. Every day, read one Proverbs based on the day of the week. If it's the third of whatever, a month, read the third uh, chapter of Proverbs. The counsel that you get, the wisdom that comes from being inundated with Proverbs, um, that's my recommendation. I think it will pay massive dividends to you. Fourth principle, Faith gives hope and renewal in the midst of work. Um, you all know what I'm talking about if you're at work. You all know that work can suck the very marrow out of hope. Um, and it's, it's how we address work. It's how we view work. Uh, it's not the work itself. It's uh, what we do with it, how we bend it, how we break it. And faith has a way, that's a principle, of restoring hope because we know in what our hope is based. We know what our relationship with God is and what's going on around us is only so relevant. 
Let's go to the ground floor game plan. For those of you who group, those of you who need very specifics about what to do Tuesday at noon. First, we're going to start with calling. And um, what you know, this calling is this idea that God has designed you for a very specific purpose. There's a season maybe that you've been called to do one thing or another. A place and time, you really need to, you really believe that you're supposed to stay and do this. You believe you're supposed to go back and get a certain type of an education because you really feel called to go do this. You really feel led to stay in this organization. There's a calling on your heart. Uh, it's a purpose-driven impact that God says, I want you for this. And there's a couple of ways to figure out what that calling is. Really practical ways to go to the ground. And I'm, I'm showing you here two very well-recognized ideas of what calling is. And I think both of them are valid. The first one on the left is, whatever you do, you must reflect the image of God and all of God's character. That is your calling. Reflect the image of God. The second part of that calling is, where you see the image of God tarnished, broken down, um, broken in half, you need to go in and restore that image of God. If there's an injustice, there's an issue of harm and foul play, go in and refurbish that image of God. And then the, the last part of it says, anything else you do is contingent, calling. You can do these first two any place you want to. In any profession you have, in any outreach you have, Reflect the image of God, and where you see the image of God being distorted, go in and refurbish, renew that image of God. There's another example of calling, and I think this is just as valid. Um, it's the intersection of how God made you. That's where God pulls you. you. You have passions. All of you have passions. You believe that this part of the world's issues are really vital. You've personally experienced it. Um, you have a friend, you have a you, or you've read it and you said, this speaks to my heart. This is what I am passionate about. In addition to that, you've gone to school, you've, gone to, you've, you've read a book, you've been trained. You have a set of skills and capabilities that are very unique to you. Every one of you do. And then third, through the Holy Spirit, you have been given gifts that you have no idea how you got. You have no idea why you were so amazing at this. You may, well, you know what I mean. I'm not going to go into it. It's the intersection of those three things. The intersection of your passions, look for that. The intersection of your experiences and your skills. And the intersection of your giftedness from God. That intersection between that is an amazing place to find out where God is pulling you in a very specific direction. Are we getting down close enough to the ground, folks? Um, So, there's calling. You know, there are two economies going on. Right, right now, there are two economies going on. There's man's economy, and there's God's economy. And they actually operate in the same sphere here on the planet. How do you operate in man's economy? What do you do on Monday morning in man's economy? Well, we talked about evidence calling. Operate in the area where you're reflecting the image of God or where the intersection of who you, how God's uniquely made you. Evidence that. Live out that calling. 
display character. I mean, look, we, we know what godly and ungodly character looks like. Like that. You can see it. Display godly character in man's economy. Deliver with excellence, with encouragement, with enthusiasm. Uh, the skill sets that you've been given. You know what happens when you're around somebody who just loves what they do, or at least express their love what they do. You want to be in that midst. You want to be a part of them. And finally, model servicing, model servanthood. This is how you operate daily at 9.30 in the morning on Monday. You just take this. Take this. If you need a ground camp, and think about how you're going to serve the person that you're, your customer that you're about to walk with. That employee you're about to visit with, what are you going to do in terms of displaying character with that individual? Now let's talk about God's economy. Um, at the exact same time that you're in man's economy, you are actually in God's economy also. God's economy says things like, the first shall be last. Um, to lose is to gain. Um, relationships first. Intent above performance. That you start applying only these things in man's economy, there's a good chance you're going to visit the human resource department as well. Um, but this is actually going on in the world at the same time man's economy is going on. And I told you a little while earlier that I was going to share with you some of the things that I learned um, over the five years we first built this business. And this next, this next slide will show that. Um, it's the intersection of man's economy and God's economy. I think crazy stuff happens. I've been, always been encouraged to give examples of this, what this actually looks like. I know, I can tell you this, it only happens if you're actually operating with the Holy Spirit. The first shall be last, working that out in your commercial world, um, it, it, without God's interference in that, it can get pretty messy. I'm going to start giving you examples. Um, acceptance versus performance. We all know about performance. Put performance aside and only accept the person. I, I, I know how that works against you. Um, marketplace grace. What does that look like? Well, I, I'll just give you an example. What we do with some of our clients is we, after we close the deal and everybody's happy with the transaction, we go back and reopen the transaction and give them more value. Give them unmerited value. That could freak your boss out a little bit. You'll have to sort of figure out how that works. Um, but I'm telling you, these are skills that we've incorporated that we believe are led by the Holy Spirit and they've transformed how we think about business. Um, mercy and failure. Well, failure is everywhere, you know. Um, and how we treat failure typically is that we identify it, describe it, talk to people how they improve it. I'm not suggesting that here at all. I'm suggesting just the opposite. Embrace them, love them, engage them, support them in their failure, and tell them how screwed up you are as well. And there's a other long list here, and I, I'd be happy to talk to you at some other time about it. I think there's a risk in this, in engaging man's economy and God's economy. 
And it's interesting, risk, the idea of risk actually didn't occur until the 1600s. Did you know that? The idea of risk did not exist in our vocabulary until the 1600s. And there's, there's some reasons for that. Um, when you go into the office, when you, go on, you, when you get involved in your work on Monday, take some of this stuff with you. I can absolutely guarantee you that, it, that if you're spending 50% of your time between the ages of 20 and 65, 50% of your time, and you, you may be in the 80%, I don't know, by exercising your faith in your work, it will transform your life. And it will transform the businesses that you're in. And I'll tell you, when you engage the Holy Spirit, you better just hang on. Um, I think we're going to give our offering next, if we could come forward and do that. Faith and work, how does that fit into offering? You know, there's this investment thesis that says you invest where your heart is. Hey, your heart may be here at K2. Your heart may be in something else. You're, go invest where your heart is. Find a great ministry that has great purpose, that speaks to your passions, your skills, and your giftedness, where your calling is, and invest heavily in what that purpose is. Invest heavily in what that ministry is. I mean, I look for great management teams. You know, I look for where the Holy Spirit is actually working and crazy stuff is going on. That's where we put our capital. There's an offering and you make the decision about what you'd like to do.